0: But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, go ahead and be turning to Nehemiah chapter 6 one more time. We've been working our way through this chapter over the past few weeks and been focusing in on the aspect of fear in our lives and, and how to deal with fear biblically. And so far we've discussed what I call the truth about fear and how true safety and security is only found in the spiritual side of life and spiritual service and surrendering your life to the Lord through his word. And then we use that as a foundation to then talk about how to get freedom from fear. And that freedom comes from understanding how God's power and God's love and God's mind works on, on behalf of us, how it works in our life. We use 2 Timothy 1:7 a sort of a primer verse. Uh, and, and we see that, the, that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And we went back into the book of Nehemiah and saw him as an example of, of how that looks and how that works in our life. But, you know, one of the things that we tried to emphasize is if we don't have that foundation in place of being inside of God's will and informed of God's word and involved in God's work, if we don't have that spiritual foundation in place, then it's, it's not going to work. It's not going it, to, it all has to work together. And God's power, God's love, and God's mind, they're, they're spiritual. and can only be applied as he designs when you're focused on those things and focused on the eternal more than the temporal. But when you are able to do that and you apply them to your life, then you don't have to fear fear anymore. You can live above the fear that is designed to hinder you. There's a freedom that you can gain from it in the Lord. And today we're gonna to see what that freedom looks like in a believer's life. We use Nehemiah's example of the application, but now we're gonna see the result. How applying faith when you're facing fear, what, what that results in. And and faithfulness to the Lord in the, in the face of fear brings certain things to you. And more importantly, it brings certain things to the Lord. that is where we're going today. That's the title for today's message, Faithfulness in the Face of Fear. And not surprisingly, it's exactly what we see with Nehemiah as we wrap up chapter 6. And in this historically true storyline in the book, what we're going to see today was was a very exciting time for Nehemiah and for all of the Jews there in Jerusalem because today, we're gonna see that the wall is completed. The mission that sent Nehemiah on a journey back to his homeland, it's accomplished. And he had left his place and position of comfort to tackle a task that was opposed by enemies from the very beginning and opposed in a way that was very dangerous to Nehemiah. As we saw last week, they were trying to kill him. But what Nehemiah displayed throughout the work the entire process of working on the wall, what he displayed was faithfulness. He displayed faithfulness, and, and, and that is our key for today that, that, that to, to get through all that we need to get through today, and, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. Nehemiah just kept at it. He kept pushing forward. He kept leading. And he didn't get distracted or, or too afraid Therefore, he never quit. He never quit. And oh, that that could be said of us. That we don't quit. That we are faithful to the Lord. That is certainly God's desire for all of our lives. And, and we could pull so many verses, but just one as an example is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And we're all stewards of of what we've been given as ministers of Christ, as servants of the Lord. And it's required of us to be found faithful. Now, we get to choose whether we do that or not. But that is God's requirement. It's God's desire in our life. But unfortunately, instead of faithfulness... I believe Psalm 12:1 is is more descriptive of Christianity as a whole today. Not necessarily any one in particular, but certainly of Christianity as a whole. And that verse says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. And I, I believe, really, if you want a verse to describe our times, if you want a theme verse to depict our society. You don't have to look any farther than Psalm 12.1. And if you want a statement of Christianity and our churches and today's culture, this is it. Faithful men have failed. Faithful men have failed. You see, as we approach the last days, the fear of man has seemingly won out over the fear of God. And instead of living in freedom... In service to the Lord. Most Christians today are in bondage. And in service to the world. In service to themselves. It's bondage to this world system through our flesh. It's exactly what Paul told the Romans in Romans 8.15. And we've used this verse last week, but it's so fitting to the topic. I want to read it again. Romans 8:15 it says, "For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear." Before you were saved, you have no choice. Romans chapter 6 talks about how we are slave to sins and, and therefore a slave to the fear of man. We were bound to that. but once you get saved, you're freed. You don't have to live that life more says, for you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You don't, you don't have to live that way. But you receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And that fear just keeps us in bondage. It is a spirit that overwhelms our life. It can be debilitating. But as we've been talking about these past few weeks, faith is the opposite of and in opposition to fear, therefore faithfulness is the opposite of and in opposition to fearfulness. And and listen, I'll just tell you, that is my goal. That is my goal for my life and for this church. You see, there are a lot of things I'm not. I'm not the best preacher. I'm not the best leader. I'm not even the best husband and father. I wish I was all of those things. But what I strive to be in every aspect of my life, is faithful. Faithful to all that God has called me to be because you see, that's all he puts on me. He doesn't tell me that I have to be the best of everything. That's his his job. What he called me to be is faithful. And that's what I want this church to be. Faithful to God, faithful to the preserved word of God, faithful to making disciples, our mission, Because faithfulness, it is something that I can be. I can be faithful. Faithful is something that we can be as a church. We can do that. And it's worthy to do because it is what God desires. And it's what God honors. He points to that in the parable of the talents, for example, in Matthew 25. Look at what he says to the steward who was faithful with the five talents he had been given, Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And he says the exact same thing in verse 23 to the steward who was faithful with the two talents that he had been given. So I mean, it's 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 just in proportion to what you've been given. God doesn't expect you to be faithful for what he's given me. And God doesn't expect me to be faithful to what He's given you. But He does expect me to be faithful to what He's given me. And He does expect you to be faithful to what He's given you. This is something very important to the Lord. God desperately desires our faithfulness. and that's absolutely what we see in Nehemiah and, and the workers that He was leading. And not only in the passage we're going to look at this morning, but we've seen this throughout the book. And it's, it's really displayed, I want to I bring you back through the book, since we, we get to the completion today, I want to b- bring you back through the book a little bit and show you this faithfulness through, throughout the stages. And it, it's really displayed through seven so statements that you find in the first six chapters of this book. And a so statement is something that I just made up, but it's a sentence that starts with the word so. That's it. There's there's your definition. And I made it up, but there are certain things like this that God uses to illuminate his word. And he breaks it down for us and and makes it more simple for us to understand so that we can get what he really wants us to get. Because you can tell the story of Nehemiah up to this point in these seven sentences. And it starts in Nehemiah 2.4. And Nehemiah says, so... I prayed to the God of heaven. And we've talked about this all along. Everything starts with prayer. Nehemiah consistently prays, right? We've been looking at them. I told you there's 12 prayers that Nehemiah prays in this book, and we've seen six of them so far. And he consistently prays because he knows that's where real power comes from. And by the way, I do too. That's why I want everyone here tonight. We want to take this church somewhere, but it will not happen if we do not pray. So please come back and join us. Be with us. We're doing some different things on the prayer nights. And I think you'll see the benefits if you'll just come. So Nehemiah starts with prayer. And then the next link in the chain is found in Nehemiah 2.11. So I came to Jerusalem. So the, the mission starts. He prays and then he goes. And he starts. He gets involved. And so many times that's our downfall. We just don't go. We'll pray and we'll desire and we'll think and we'll plan. But at the end of the day, we don't get up and go to Jerusalem. Nehemiah did. Why? Because he was faithful. The mission starts. And that leads to verse 18 because after Nehemiah came to Jerusalem, he rallies the troops. And in Nehemiah 2.18 says, so they strengthen their hands for this good work. And all of the Jews in Israel, and the people there that wanted to help, they got on board, they were excited about what God was doing amongst them. And then the, the story aspect of this book really jumps into chapter 4, where we see the next so statement in verse 6. So built we the wall. They got going, he came, he was faithful to God, he rallied the troops, they got excited about it, and they got to work. But it didn't come easy, because as we know, there was opposition. So in verse 21 of chapter 4, we read, So we labored in the work. It wasn't all exciting. It wasn't all just building. It was laboring. All while their enemies were trying to stop them. So they had to remain faithful. They had to stay on guard. And be prepared for what the enemy was attacking them with. And that's what verse 23 gets at. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me. None of us put off our clothes. Saving that everyone put them off for washing. Because they were prepared at all times. They put on, you know, in in today's. Uh, vernacular and, and, and how it applies in the church ages is, is the armor of God. They put on Christ and they kept it on because that's the only way to remain faithful and, 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 and be able to, to battle the enemies that, and the fights that we have. But because of that faithfulness, even in the midst of fear, in the midst of opposition, God honored their work. And that brings us to the seventh so statement that we find in the passage we are studying this morning. And if you know anything about biblical numerology, this should come as no surprise to you. Seven in the Bible is God's number of completion and perfection. And Nehemiah 6.15 says, so the wall was finished. And that's what we're going to see today. And what God wants to teach us this morning is the importance of faithfulness. And not only that, his expectation of faithfulness, even in the midst of fear and opposition. So let's look at it together. Nehemiah chapter 6, starting at verse 15. We're going to read down through the end of the chapter in verse 19. So so the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day in the month of Elul in 50 and 2 days. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Barakiah. Also they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to put me in fear. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much again for your word. We thank you in particular for this book of Nehemiah and, and what it can teach us. And, Lord, I pray as we're talking through the, this little mini-series on fear, Lord, that you continue just to work in our lives exactly what it is that we need. We're all in different spots. We all fear different things. We all have different struggles. But, Lord, you meet all of them through your word. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit does just that today, Lord. I don't know how to do it, but 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 you do, and and I don't have to. And so, Lord, I just pray that that you use your word to penetrate our lives and change us and mold us more and more into your image. Lord, I pray that everything is said is true to your word. I pray it is honoring to you. I pray that you're glorified in all we do today, and even as we come back tonight, to lift up our requests, our desires, our worship of you in prayer. Lord, um, thank you for the time we have together. Again, bless it. Um, in our lives and be blessed by it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, so obviously we know where we're going. Uh, we're going to talk about faithfulness this morning, and I want to encourage you towards that end. I, I, I want us to all be able to stare, stare our fear in the face and tell it to leave us alone because we've got work to do. We've got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. And this trip requires faithfulness. But in order for us to truly be motivated to be faithful, there are some things we need to understand about faithfulness, about how to keep going even when things are tough. We need to learn how faithfulness works in light of opposition around us and and fear in us. And that's what Nehemiah is going to teach us. And it starts here. This is the first component of faithfulness that we need to understand. It's very simple. Faithfulness results in completion. Faithfulness results in completion. And this might seem obvious based on our passage, but until we really grasp all that it means, we will never see the true importance of faithfulness. Let's look at it again. We find it in verse 15. So the wall was finished in the 20 and fifth day of the month of Elul in 50 and two days. Listen, this is an amazing accomplishment the wall completed in 52 days against opposition and not not just, you know, they were free to do whatever they wanted and didn't have to deal with people trying to fight against them. No, and they get it done in 52 days. Although I do find it very interesting that it's not really described that way at all in this verse. It's just said matter-of-factly. Remember, Nehemiah wrote this book. This is Nehemiah's sort of journal on this project that he wrote some years after it was accomplished. But what we don't hear is how Nehemiah feels about this. He just said, you know what, it got done. 52 days, this is the day, this is the day that we wrapped it up. We don't know if he was excited. We don't know if he was relieved. We don't know anything at all about how he feels about the job getting done. And I think that's because, as we're going to learn in the next verse, it's never been about Nehemiah, and it's never been about how Nehemiah feels. It's always been about doing a work on behalf of the Lord. Nehemiah told them from the very beginning, when he was laying out the cause, that they needed to be ashamed of the state that Jerusalem was in. It was God's chosen city, and yet as Jews, they had let it fallen into a reproach. And it, you know, and it goes much deeper than that because because of their idolatry, because of their spiritual adultery, they had fallen into captivity, and they have been overrun by Gentile nations, and, and now some of those Gentile kings let them come back in the land, but they didn't take care of it. And it was a shame to God, and that's not much different than today. I mean, Today, God's chosen vehicle is the church. And in Laodicea, it's not in great shape. So we have a job to do too. And it's not about us. It's about representing the Lord. It's about being holy because he is holy. And when we are holy and when we are about the work, that points people to Jesus. Listen, I'm I'm passionate about taking this church to, to places that glorify the Lord. Not because I want to build my kingdom or or we all can point to what we have done. No. Because I desperately do not want to be a reproach to the Lord. He deserves so much more out of us than Laodicea and lukewarm Christianity. He deserves man, I, that's a reproach to him. And it burdens me. I so don't want that to be me, and I so don't want that to be us. But we have to all be in it together. We need each and every one of you. Will you join us? Will you be faithful so that we can build something that the Lord is proud of? You can start by coming back tonight. But before I get too far off course, let's analyze this point. Faithfulness results in completion. And for Nehemiah and the Jews in Jerusalem, it only took 52 days. Walls and gates that had been broken down for over 140 years were now restored in 52 days. And and if if you look at historical research, I don't know if it's true or not because it's not found in the Bible. But if you look at historical research, it would say that the wall was anywhere from one to three miles And it was at least 15 feet high. This wasn't a small job. This was was something quite significant. It was a work that Nehemiah said was great and large in chapter 4, verse 19. It was a work that the enemy said earlier in chapter 4 couldn't really be done. And even if it was done, that a a fox walking across it would, would make it fall down. And as I read this story of Nehemiah and this building project, I'm just encouraged. I'm encouraged to remain faithful because something gets done for the Lord. Because look at what God did because of their faithfulness. He wrought a miracle. I want to be part of something like that. Listen, I am old enough now that I don't want to just have church. I'm not interested in coming and just having fun together on Sundays. I want to be a part of a significant movement of God. I want to fight through fear. I want to see God's faithfulness in my life, and I want to see God's faithfulness in this church. I understand Paul's desire that he described in in Acts 20, 24, a very popular verse, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with the joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. This is a great desire and one that we should have, too, because it originates from Jesus, look at what Jesus said regarding His life in John chapter four, verse 34. Jesus saith unto them, "My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish His work." And here's what's awesome about those verses. They both did it. They completed. They completed it, and they did a work for the Lord. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4.7, the last book he wrote, shortly before he was martyred. He said to Timothy, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And Jesus made similar statements. Now, his mission was twofold. It was to train up a group of men to proclaim his message to the world. And he accomplished that. John 17.4 says, I've glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. But he wasn't finished working. Because he still had to go to the cross, but he does that too. And in his last words while dying, he declared that job done as well. John 19, 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And listen, the, the commonality with all of these examples, so Nehemiah, Paul, and Jesus, here's the commonality in all three of those situations. The closer they got to the finish line, the stronger the attacks came. People were trying to to murder Nehemiah by the end. They did murder Paul and Jesus. And so what that means is in the midst of fear against their strongest attacks, the work was still completed. So know that victory is available to those who just don't quit. Victory is available. Finishing your course, the work God has for you, is something you can accomplish. It is something you can complete. But you have to remain faithful. And that is going to require remaining faithful in the face of fear. Because if you're doing something for the Lord, if you're working in his plan for your life, the devil's not going to let that go. You're not going to get to do that without facing any opposition. Of course not. But, but here's the thing. You can't fear man and finish. It doesn't work that way. So you've got to want it. You need that desire in your life. And just the truth is, the bottom line is, not everyone has it. Not everyone cares that much. They, they don't even see the necessity or, the, or understand what it means to finish and complete something that God has given them in the context of their Christian life. So they don't view things like Nehemiah and Paul and, and Jesus did. Now, most of those same people do view their physical life that way, but not their spiritual life, right? We're all this way to a certain, ex, certain extent. And we see our physical life as, as a series of steps to accomplish, right? M- most of us like to check boxes. So here are my goals. Get married, check. Have kids, check. Raise those kids to be able to survive on their own, check. Get a good job, check. you know, Climb the proverbial ladder, check. Retire and coast, check. And so our life becomes a series of 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 boxes to check, something to accomplish, to complete. And when you finish that one thing, you move on to the next thing until ultimately you finish your life when you die. And that's completely fine. That's exactly how God, there's nothing wrong with that because it's how God designed us. You know why? Because he has that same goal in mind for us to do with spiritual things. It's just we focus on the physical. It's what we've been talking about. God wants us to focus on the spiritual. He tells us to build a wall. Can you say, check? Have you done it? What's next? Our life, we should view it that way. But when it comes to our spiritual life, it seems like we don't have that type of viewpoint. So what we end up doing is just living our life Checking physical boxes. And spiritually, we just, you know, we try to live a good life. And and we try to do what's right. And we just hope for the best. And we just hope that when it's all said and done, and we stand before God that day, we can say, well, God, I try. I mean, you know, I I was just, every day I was, I was hoping that what I was doing was Pleasing to you? Oh, man, I, don't think, I don't think that's what God wants us to do. I think what God wants us to do is to understand our mission and be faithful to complete it. I'm pretty sure that's what the biblical model is through Nehemiah and Paul and Jesus to finish the course, the job that we have. Figure out what it is and set out to be faithful to it. That's what Ephesians 4.1 says. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And that vocation isn't talking about the job you're going to show up to tomorrow morning. It's your vocation as a prisoner of the Lord. What has he called you to to serve him? Philippians 3.12 says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that if I have apprehended, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul said, I recognize I have been apprehended by Christ. It's a choice I made, a free will choice to enter into the relationship with him. But once I do that, I've been apprehended by him. He has purchased me. He's literally captured me. And he now owns me because I've been bought with a price. And now I am to do everything I can to to follow after living my life according to that truth. This was a matter of God capturing Paul for a purpose and Paul yielding to it. You see, that's a problem for many of us. We know that we have been saved by grace. We're even thankful that we've been saved by grace. And we recognize that that we've been bought by the blood of Christ. We believe that, we acknowledge it, we sing about it, but we don't take the next step and figure out the purpose behind it. God has apprehended us for his purpose, for his mission. And the rest of our lives are a matter of us laying hold of that and following after that, being faithful to finish all that God has for us. And so when it comes to spiritual things in my life, I have boxes. Like when it comes, and listen, what's the context that we've been framing this series in? Building our lives, building our homes, and building this church to the glory of the Lord. And so when I look at all of the roles that God's placed me in, I've got, I've got I know a mission. I know what God's calling me to do. And when it comes to my kids, it started with them being saved. Praise the Lord, I've checked that box. But now I'm still working, I'm not done. I'm trying to raise them in a way that when they get to become, a, when they're adults and they have the choices to make that they'll serve the Lord with their life. And I only have a certain role in that. They obviously have to make that choice on their own. I, I can't, nor would I want to force them into it. But I want to set them up for success. There's some things I want to teach them through my life. I want them to look at my life and be able to say, well, I mean, listen, he didn't do everything perfect because that is certainly the truth. But man, you know, I, I can say he was faithful. He was faithful to love me. He was faithful to love their mom. He was faithful to love the Lord, to bring us to church. He was faithful in these areas. That's what I want to be able to say. Those are my boxes. And and if I don't check them, if I'm not able to check them, shame on me. You know, going on in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 13 to 14, says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul knew that he served a great God and and a great God that had given him a purpose. Here in Philippians chapter three, he calls it his high calling. We have it as well. We have a high calling, we have a purpose. And when we live life in light of that purpose, it brings conformity to Christ, which allows us to glorify Him, which is what we were created to do. And it allows us to build something for Him to completion. So let me ask you what's your purpose? Why are you here? What is your place and your role in your home? What is your place in this body of Christ? Who are you supposed to be teaching? Who are you supposed to be witnessing to? Who are you supposed to be serving all to the glory of God? Listen, we need to quit giving ourselves excuses for not doing what we should be doing. God has captured us. So we need to start living our life in light of his purpose without looking back. Let's be faithful so that we can see the Lord complete something through us. And that's really the key right there. It's the Lord that ultimately does the work. And it has to be that way. Which brings us to the second component of faithfulness that we need to understand. And that is that faithfulness, when you're faithful to the Lord, when you're faithful to the work, it reveals deserving credit. It's like we sang about this morning who really deserves the credit if something gets built? Because when you are just faithful to the Lord and to the Lord's work and pointing others to him, it becomes obvious that the Lord did the work. Now, if your faithfulness isn't to the Lord, and instead it's about what you are doing and what you are building, then then you'll ultimately steal credit from the one that is, is truly deserving. But Nehemiah never did that. And therefore everyone knew who was responsible because everybody was watching. Look at verse 16. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof that the wall had been completed and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Nehemiah's name isn't mentioned there. And Nehemiah wrote this book. It doesn't say that they looked around and said, wow, those are some, those are some good carpenters and those were some good masons there. I mean, they must have really knew what they were doing because they got this thing done even though we were trying to stop them. It's not what it said. They perceived that this work was wrought of our God. And isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome that the enemies were cast down? Because they knew that the Lord was in it. if the Lord is in it, there was nothing they could do against it or to stop it. Listen, I hope the enemies that we have, I hope that we do do things in such a way that when they look, they're a little bit disappointed. And that they're cast down. Because it's like, man, there's there's stuff happening there. the Lord's doing something there. Man, that's a shame. That's what I hope they feel. And they were feeling that stark realization. The wall had been completed and they had failed in their attempt to stop it. Now, we're going to see even this morning, Bill, that they still don't give up. You think they realized exactly what was happening. They realized that God was doing the work. It still doesn't stop them. They don't pick up their ball and leave. They just keep fighting. But they failed in this initial mission to stop the building of the wall. But the point I want you to get out of this is that everyone was watching. And everyone knew. And they all acknowledged that the Lord had wrought the work. And when it comes to the church, there is a watching world. And that is true of the broader church, the body of Christ as a whole, but that is true of our church as well. And if we do anything good, if we build anything in our homes and in this church, I want God to get the glory. I want the watching world to look at us and say, "Wow. God must be real because look at that." Look at what's going on there. They certainly couldn't do it on their own. I mean, listen, there's not we don't have many skills here. But praise the Lord, he does. And listen, if in fact it's the Lord working through you, then you don't deserve the credit anyway, right? The credit always belongs to him. 2 Corinthians 10, 17, he says, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And and listen, not understanding this point has has been the downfall of many young Christians, and, and, and not only young, old Christians as well, many Christians. Because the truth is that it's not always one's failures, that lead to downfall, it can also be one's successes. You see, if you don't know how to handle it, a success can lead to pride and taking credit for something that you didn't actually do. And that success just feeds your flesh. But what you will eventually learn is that your flesh is never Satisfied. Whatever glory you get, it's not going to be enough. King Solomon, in his search for vanity, learned this the hard way. And he wrote these words in Proverbs 25, 27. It is not good to eat much honey. So for men to search their own glory is not glory. That's not how you achieve glory in your own efforts. Paul said, if you're going to glory, glory in the Lord. That's where ultimate joy is found anyway. When you've moved out of the the flesh realm and the pride and, and wanting to get credit yourself into the spirit realm where you're just walking in the spirit and you're glad that God's getting the credit. You just want to, your life, you just want to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God man, his will is good and it's acceptable and it is perfect. I just want to lay my life down so that he gets the credit. And and let me clue you in on on something here. It it, it ultimately has to be for his sake and for truth's sake. That's what the psalmist says in, in Psalm 115, verse 1. It says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, But unto Thy name give glory, for Thy mercy, and for Thy true sake. And when you get to the place in your Christian life that, for the most part, listen, we still have this flesh. You know, we're never going to be perfect, and 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 I and it's such a fine line. I pray all like every morning, every time I preach, I, I I have a process that I go through. I spend a lot of time in prayer. And it's a weird prayer <laughs> because I pray that, I, I mean, I pray that, that it's a good sermon. <laughs> but, I, but I pray that God's just so that God can be glorified, not for me. I don't, I don't want glory truly. But then, but then I, I even battle this on my own mind. I'm like, yeah, but do you kind of? Well, I, no, I don't think so. But I want God to change all of us. And if he can use foolish me and the words that I say to do it, listen, that's, if you're getting anything out of the messages I preach, then the Lord, it's the Lord. I promise you that. And I want him to get the glory, and we all kind of have our own struggles on that. But when you get to the point that for the most part, that, that really that is your desire, that you want God to get the credit that he deserves, and you, and you don't need people to recognize you, and, and, and God is magnified, man, when you get there, you know, for the most part, you're, you live consistently in that bubble, then you've arrived somewhere. That's a man, that's a woman God can use. It's Galatians 6.14 type of living that says, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I am to the world. I don't have anything in me. I'm crucified to the world. The world is crucified to me. Let's just glory in the cross. That's, all, that's the only thing good in me. And that's a powerful person right there because that's someone who's, who's died to their flesh and is doing all they do so that God can be glorified, get that rightful credit that he deserves. That was Nehemiah, man. That was like, he wrote this book, and you don't see him praising his own self at all. We talked in our first point about what Nehemiah said to his his fellow Jews as he was rallying them to the cause. How he called the state of the city of of Jerusalem a reproach. I want to look at that again and dive into it a little bit more in this context. It's in Nehemiah 2.17 He says, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more reproach I mean, that's the ultimate goal and that word reproach it means disgrace or shame and the point is the broken down state of Jerusalem didn't just discredit the Jews but more importantly it dishonored the God that they said that they professed to love and serve you know, we, we know that Jerusalem, what that means, that was God's chosen city. Just one example, Second Chronicles 6, 6. But I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. Jerusalem was God's habitation. It will be again, by the way. And it was shameful, the state that the city had fallen into. And Nehemiah's goal was never to build back the city so that he could be, cra- be praised. He didn't care to have Gatorade thrown on him. He didn't want the Lord to be shamed. He wanted the people of the world to look at that city and think of how great God must be. All he wanted was for God to be glorified and get that credit he deserves. And listen, when it comes to your life and your home and this church, don't you want the Lord to look good? We should strive to be the best Christian that we can be. Not for what we can get out of it, but solely because we represent Christ. There's a lot of reproach out there in the name of Christ. Somebody needs to be holy. Somebody needs to build something awesome solely so that he can look good. Solely so that he is acknowledged as awesome. And we have the opportunity to do it. And that's awesome. But listen, this is an ongoing process. And even if you do something and God gets credit for it, that doesn't mean the enemy's going to stop fighting you. And it brings our, us to our third component of faithfulness that we need to understand. And that is faithfulness requires continued caution. Because even after the enemy saw that the wall and the gates had been restored, <coughs> Excuse me, and that the job had been completed, and they even acknowledged that God had done it. We still see the nobles and Tobiah being real jerks. Look at verse 17. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them, for there were many in Judah sworn unto him, the, the enemy, Tobiah, because he was the son in law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son, Johanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Barakiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. So, let me just try to explain what's going on here. The bottom line is the fear campaign continued, and it involved things like gossip and lies, and the nobles kept Tobiah informed of what was going on in Jerusalem. So he had spies on the inside, as, as most churches do, unfortunately. And at the same time, those spies would go to Nehemiah, and they would tell Nehemiah that, you know what, Tobiah, that, he's really a good guy. You, you just misunderstand each other. You need to give him a chance. And in actuality, they were just fulfilling Proverbs 28, 4, that says, they that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law, contend with them. And Tobiah was wicked, and he was being praised. And he wasn't a Jew. We've already talked about the the origins of those enemies. But because of all the intermarrying that was going on, he had family connections. And those family connections were pushing his agenda. And Tobiah let Nehemiah know that he was well aware of everything that was going on because he wanted to put Nehemiah in fear. That's what the letters were about. And make no mistake about it, Tobiah was the enemy. He had been a pain in the neck from the very beginning. He and Sanballat were the ringleaders of opposition. They could not hide their true colors. In fact, Tobiah is a picture of the Antichrist. And we don't have time to go through all the details, but for you Bible study students out there, Pay attention to the phrase, those days, at the beginning of verse 17. That phrase, those two words, those days, points to the tribulation period. It's all throughout your Bible. But as an example, Matthew 24, 22 says, And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. in the direct context of, of that Verse Matthew 24 is a tribulation period those days and they're shortened as the seven years and in the tribulation Israel's political landscape will be divided and many of the Jews including the nobles won't be able to discern who the enemy is and they will bind themselves with an oath to the antichrist That's the picture that we have going on here in verses 17 through 19. So God chose to make Tobiah a picture of the Antichrist, probably an indication of his character in real life. And and let me remind you of how upstanding those nobles were. They were the ones that, according to Nehemiah 3.5, wouldn't put their necks to the work. I just, the English, the Language choice is just perfect. They wouldn't put their necks to the work, but instead they decided to cheat the brethren and steal their land and children in chapter 5. Real good guys there, you know, those nobles, you know, cream of the crop. And then we see a guy named Meshulam here in the mix because his daughter married Tobiah's son. And Meshulam was one of the workers on the wall. We know that from chapter 3, verse 4. And he shows up again in verse 30. One of the few guys that were mentioned twice in chapter 3 where it lists everyone working on the wall and where they're at. And yet his family was undermining the very work he was a crucial part of building. And listen, as sad as it is, sometimes the work of the Lord is just that way. The very people who should love you the most, the very people who you thought loved you, are actually against you. When it it comes down to it, they're not against you, you know, until a certain point. And when it comes down to it at the end of the day, it turns out they're against you and they're against what God is doing through you. And it's sad when that happens. But it's sometimes a reality in ministry. So you have to remain cautious. And the bottom line is no matter where it comes from, either known enemies or those you thought were your family or friends, attacks are still going to come. And even if you've completed the current job God has for you, we see that to be true here in Nehemiah. me finish the work and Tobias still trying to put him in fear. And then earlier, we looked at Jesus and Paul. The devil didn't stop fighting against them. In John chapter 17, we saw that Jesus finished the work with his disciples. And then look at how John 18 begins. And when Jesus had spoken these words, that was the whole context of John 17. He was talking to his father and telling him how they had completed what they were doing. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his, with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where it was a garden under which he entered, and his disciples, and Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oftentimes restored thither with, resorted thither with his disciples. And the fight kept going. And after Jesus was crucified, the fight kept going. And they put him in a tomb and they kept guards there because they didn't want anybody to be able to steal the body and claim that he was resurrected. The devil just kept fighting. He still does to this day. With Paul, he, 2 Timothy, his last book, right shortly before he was martyred, he, he's in prison He can't do anything. He's finished his course in 2 Timothy 4, 7, it says. But look at what it says immediately after that in verses 9 and 10. Paul tells Timothy, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. The devil was still fighting against him, even at his lowest point. And listen, it never stops. In the book of Nehemiah, we will see Tobiah all the way to the end. All the way through chapter 13. And he never stops fighting. Never. He never stops fighting against Nehemiah and never stops fighting the work of the Lord. And the same thing will be true in our lives as well, as long as we are building for the Lord, that is. He'll never stop. So you can't let your guard down. If you get one victory or you complete one task, you can't think you've arrived. Because as soon as you do, Tobiah is going to sneak in and steal what God has for you next. That applies to you and me individually, and it applies to us collectively as a church. So the lesson we get from Nehemiah is to keep our head down and keep working. That's faithfulness. We're about to see a shift in chapter 7. But the work doesn't end, it just changes. Which is how God does in our life. He takes us from one stage to the next. And listen, we're to just go from one mission to the next. And we're to keep on moving until we can't move anymore. Faithful to the end. And, and even when it gets discouraging, because sometimes it does, keep fighting. That's what Nehemiah does. That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul did. In fact, look at how Paul wraps up 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 16. He said, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you'll just be faithful. Man, what a promise that is. There's evil out there. Trying to stop Paul, and he was like, You know what? The Lord stood with me, and He preserved me. And I'm going to stand before Him one day soon, unashamed. And we're going to spend eternity together, and it will all be worth it. God will make it all right in the end, so don't quit. Remain faithful in the face of fear because through it we have the opportunity to give God glory with our lives, with our homes, and with this church. And there's nothing better than that. It's what everything is about. If we do it, we will see work get done. We can finish what God gives us to do, and we can give him all the credit. He can get all the glory. But we have to stay on guard. We have to fight to the end. Because that's exactly what our enemies are going to do. They're going to fight to the end. And I want to be faithful. How about you?